All right. Well, we are into week two of our God with us series this morning. And the, the goal of this series, as we head towards Advent, it is the, the second Sunday of Advent, uh, we're looking at ways that we can encounter the presence of God in different seasons of our lives. And for the whole series, we'll, we'll wrap up Christmas Eve over at Silvertip. For the whole series, we're, we're anchoring our time in, in a text that's really uh, probably one of the most important New Testament texts for, for followers of Jesus. Uh, it's one that helps us solidify our faith and, and grasp even the presence of God. And so we're going to start there again today. In, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, he, he writes this. He uh, speaks of the words that were prophesied hundreds of years ago. And he writes, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And we've kind of started out last week saying, well, it's, sometimes it's really easy to understand that God's with us when things are going well. But what happens when things are not going well? And we looked last week at how we can experience God's presence in, in the valley times, not just the mountaintop times, but the valley times. And we talked about the truth that we might enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know God intimately in the valleys. There are some things we just can't learn about who God is and, and what he's done for us and what that means for our lives without going through hard times where we are kind of forced almost to depend on him. Now this morning, we want to look at a, a different metaphor from the Bible, and that's one of the wilderness. We want to look at how we can experience God in the wilderness. And the wilderness is different than a valley. It might sound like, well, Sean, you're just picking the two similar things. This is going to be the same message as last week, but it's not. The wilderness is different than the valley. Often when, he, when we see the wilderness in the Bible, it's, it, it's something that lasts a lot longer. The wilderness uh, often is a metaphor, or when we see uh, travels through the wilderness, it's, it's, a, it's a barren place. Uh, it's a dry place. It's a, it's a desolate place. It's a lonely place. And one of the images in the Bible that often comes along with these wilderness times is, is a wandering. It's a, it feels like a, there's not really a destination. I don't really know where I'm going. I'm just stuck in this desolate, lonely place. It's a wondering when this time will be over. It's, it's a time that, that, that we wonder, will we ever get out? Will there be an end to this wilderness and there's a number of wilderness stories in the Bible. Moses, uh, in the book of Exodus, after he flees Egypt, we see he's, he shepherds, he wanders in the wilderness for 40 years before he sees that burning bush and gets sent back to Egypt to release the slaves. Israel, after they left Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. But what's interesting as well, when you, when you look at the wilderness stories of the Bible, they often either uh, kind of follow a mountaintop time or lead into a mountaintop time. They either, either follow or lead into another mountaintop time. They're, they're a, a time of preparation. If we come back to, to Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually 
had this happen to him. In the beginning of the gospel, we read the story of, of Jesus came and then he was baptized by John and there's this, this amazing story where, where he goes under the water, he comes up and, and the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove and the voice of the Father is heard and he says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased and I love him. And what happens in the very next verse? Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. Now, some of us may have stories like that. Some of us might be in the middle of the story right now where, where everything seemed to be going good and then it's not. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, feeling alone, maybe spiritually dry, desperate for a way out. But I wonder, what, what if we shift our perspective on the wilderness experience? That's not to say it's not going to be hard. That's not to say we shouldn't enjoy it and just act like everything's great while we're in the wilderness. But if we, if we keep reading those wilderness stories, uh, how do they end in the Bible? I've already kind of pointed to this. They often seem to be a time of preparation. And so here's kind of the big idea for this morning. Often your biggest need can become a gift when it drives you to God. Your biggest need can be a gift if it drives you to God. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how hard it seems in the moment, it can be a gift if it drives you to God. And this morning, we want to look at an Old Testament example this morning that lived this out in a really very real way. So if you have a Bible or a Bible on your phone or something, you can turn with me to 1 Kings 19. It's kind of near the beginning of the Old Testament after those first five books of the Pentateuch. Then we get into kind of the history sections of the Old Testament. And here in 1 Kings 19, we're in the middle of a scene with the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And this was a guy that God had used and continued to use in some really massive ways. Uh, in the chapter right before this, in 1 Kings 18, uh, he was literally on a mountaintop. He was on the top of Mount Carmel and he experiences the power of God as God uh, as he calls down fire from God and God sends fire from heaven uh, and defeats the prophets of Baal. But then Elijah goes from mountaintop to wilderness in a hurry. And in the wilderness, we find him desperate and depressed and alone and scared for his life. Again, just a, a little bit of context as we parachute into this part of Israel's history. At the time, uh, there was a king. Uh, his name was Ahab, and he was evil. Uh, he did not follow the ways of the Lord. He did the things against what uh, the Lord had called the nation to do. And he was married to an even more evil queen, Jezebel. And, and Elijah had been calling out these things that the king was doing for years and years and years. And when Ahab uh, tells his wife, Jezebel, what had happened on that mountaintop, how, how Elijah had called down fire and all these uh, false prophets were destroyed, she gets mad. And she sends a messenger to Elijah and basically says, by tomorrow, you'll be dead. Now, Ahab had been mad at Elijah for, for, for many years. But all of a sudden, this was, this was not something new to Elijah, that the, the king was, was mad at him. But this newly added threat scared Elijah, and we read in verse 3 that he ran for his life. Verse 4 says, He ran, and when he got to Beersheba, he left his servant there, kind of the, the person that was there traveling with him, and he went a day's journey where? Into the wilderness. 
Now, this trip from, from where he was to Beersheba was something like 100 miles, so it's not like he just sort of slipped into the, the outskirts of town to kind of get away from the queen a little bit. This was, no, I'm just going to give things space until they calm down. He was, he was terrified, so he ran. There's no cars, there's no bus line, there's no train, there's no planes. He ran for 100 miles, scared for his life. This was a guy who had just been on the mountaintop with God and saw the glory of God demonstrated in an amazing way. And now he's running for his life. He's in the wilderness. He's alone. He's desperate. He's hurting. Look at verse 4. But he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and then he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. This was a guy who had just seen the power of God and now he's had enough. I wonder how many of us have said those words or something similar. God, I've, I've had enough. I just can't take it anymore. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why I'm here. I'm spent. I'm done. I've got nothing left. God, why? And one of the things I, I love about the Bible is it doesn't just tell us what we want to hear. It doesn't just say how everything was okay, everything is okay, and everything's going to be okay. But it tells us how things actually happened. It doesn't tell us a, a sanitized, cleaned up version of history where all the heroes are perfect and live to a standard that you and I could never hope to reach. Uh, there's a, a great article I read online this week uh, looking at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And it's, it, it points out that the genealogy, Jesus' ancestors, that list of people that Matthew lists in chapter 1, it is filled with people who were liars and cheaters, people who were sexually deviant, who were Jews, who were Gentiles, who were men, who were women. And from that line, despite all the odds the virgin became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and he was named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Elijah is a great example for us. His, his life could have been cleaned up. His story could have been cleaned up. The, when, when they were recording the history, they could have gone from mountaintop, skipped this little part where he runs away, and then comes back to the next time where he speaks with power or, or speaks for God. But instead, we have this, this scene, this chapter he's desperate. Now, Elijah was a prophet. That meant at, at this time he was basically God's mouthpiece to his people. This was a guy who knew the presence and the power of God. This was a guy who, who if you read the, the chapters leading up to 19 where we are, who had, had fought and stood up for God with boldness and bravery for years. Elijah was used to standing up to this evil king and calling out his evil. He'd even prophesied that if the king didn't turn from his ways, that, that God would shut up the skies and there would be a drought. And there was a drought for three years. And it wasn't until he said, okay, we'll let it rain, that the rain came. This was a guy who spoke with power. The king, of course, was furious through all this time, and he, he sends his forces after Elijah, but God protects him, God hides him, God provides for him. Uh, earlier, in, in, again, in Elijah's story, God, God used Elijah to raise a, a boy from death to life. 
And then in the immediate before this, Elijah stands down 450 false prophets. Now, I haven't been in front of many angry crowds or hostile crowds or people who believe different things than me, and we were actually talking about these things. But 450 sounds like a lot. You'd have to have some guts to do that, I think. Or you'd have to have, to have some faith in the one you're standing up for, right? He stands down these prophets and he calls down fire from heaven and God sends that fire, consumes Elijah's gift on the altar, and then consumes the false prophets as well. This was a guy who had experienced the extraordinary protection of God, the extraordinary provision of God. He experienced the presence of God and God's greatness. But then he hears this threat and everything seems to fall apart and he runs for his life. I read about uh, this talk or this interview with Dr. Henry Cloud that he gave a little while ago. He's a a Christian psychologist. I think the talk came from one of the the global leadership summits. I don't know if you've heard of that gathering that happens every year, but but in that that interview or that that talk, he, he was talking about how we're tired. Can anyone identify with that? Just feel tired? And what he said was, was often, we, we all, we get that. We understand, I'm, I feel tired, I'm still tired, I can't stop being tired. We, we kind of can understand that. But what he said in this talk was often, we're actually misdiagnosing our challenge. He said that when, when we're feeling tired, we often misdiagnose what our real need is. He says most of us aren't actually tired because if we were just tired, we could take a nap and that would solve the problem. Instead, he said, we're, we're not in need of a physical rest as much as we're in need of spiritual replenishment. He said, you're not just tired, you're, you're also, or, or maybe additionally, spiritually depleted. He says, you're not just tired, you're not just overwhelmed, but, but what you and I need is an encounter with the very real, very holy presence of God. Can I get an amen there? Anyone else feel like, I'm tired of it, but I, I, I had a, the clock says I had a good sleep, but I'm, I'm still tired. I just want to experience God's presence. What we actually need isn't a nap, but we, we need a moment where we slow down and we experience and, and, and grasp and try to understand a little bit more the grace and the goodness and the loving kindness and the mercy and the presence of God. We aren't just tired, but uh, it's not to say we don't need a nap. Maybe you do need to go home this afternoon and have a nap. One of the, uh, the things, I was, um, our association of churches had this sort of leadership development program, and they called me into it. And, and, and over the, the three years, we, we, there were about 10 of us in the, in the program, and we went out to gather together in Ontario for a week at a time. Uh, and one of the things the leaders always told us was said, you know, one of the things you might just need, the most spiritually beneficial thing you could do in this free time this afternoon is go to your room and have a nap. Just rest. So that's not, not to say we don't need a nap. Maybe if you need permission, go home and have a nap this afternoon. But even more than just physical rest, we need to encounter the grace of God and, and we need spiritual encouragement. That's what David talked about in the 23rd Psalm as well, isn't it? Remember how we started? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one that, that leads me and guides me. He says, I, I, I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. 
I think it's safe to say this is kind of where we find Elijah. No doubt he was physically tired from his escape ultra marathon that he just run, but he was also spiritually depleted. So what does God do if we keep reading? Actually, before we get to that, what I think I love most is what God doesn't do. God doesn't find Elijah sitting under the broom tree, taking a nap and say, Elijah, get up, man, let's go. He doesn't say, uh, dust yourself off, get on with it. Have you forgotten what had just happened? Uh, and just a little note, I really, honestly, sincerely hope that if you have ever come to one of our morning gatherings, spiritually depleted, and all you heard me say was, get up, go, forgive me. Forgive me. God doesn't come down to Elijah and give him some more Bible verses to memorize of how he should be happy and life should go on well. God doesn't come down and condemn him and say, where's your faith, man? Did you forget the mountain? But look what happens in verse 6. Suddenly an angel touched him, and the angel told him, get up and eat. And then Elijah looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid down again. What did God say to Elijah? Here, buddy, rest. Take some food, have a drink, just rest. Like Tom told us on those retreats, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just rest in the presence of God. Take a breather and let him restore your soul. He goes on, verse 7, and this uh, verse uh, is an encouragement for all of us who maybe don't get what God's trying to say the first time. Because Elijah took, eat, rest, maybe fell back asleep again. He laid down again, it says. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord returned a second time and touched him. And he said, get up and eat. Or the journey that you're about to take will be too much for you. God comes back for him. He doesn't give him this, this, this bread and jug and, and then Elijah falls back asleep. Well, I'm done with Elijah. Let's find someone else. He comes back. He doesn't give up on him. And he keeps coming back. And he keeps coming back for us too. If we turn to God, we will find him. If we seek him, he, he will be found. And, and when we're in the midst of the wilderness, he will meet us there. goes on, verse 8 and 9. So Elijah got up and he ate and he drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, to the mountain of God. And there he entered a cave and, and spent the night. God might actually speak to some of us the same way. Oh, hang on. I didn't read enough of verse 9. He spent the night there, and the, the word of the Lord came to him and said to Elijah, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is how God might speak to us. Say, hey, uh, <clears throat> what are we doing here? How, how come you're running? I, I, I'm with you. I provided for you. Why are you running? Elijah responds, and he speaks, and it, it seems like he might pull out his, his whiny noise. Anyone, anyone know the whiny voice? 
If you, you've, if it's the one that you probably used when you were a kid and your parents said no to something. If you've got kids, it's the one they use when you say no to something. Some of us actually use this one with God when it doesn't seem like he's answering our prayers. But God, right? So maybe he pulls us out. I don't know. I don't want to disrespect Elijah, but it seems maybe. Verse 10, look what he says. He says, Elijah replied, But God, I've been very zealous for the Lord, of God, Lord God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're looking for my life. This guy's in the wilderness. He's in the spiritual wilderness. He's, he's, he's hurting. His, his needs are so great that he actually can't see what's going on outside of his, his own limited perspective. But again, look what God does. God meets him right there. He meets him in that need. He takes care of him in the moment. He brings healing in the middle of hurt. That's why we started saying that, that your deepest need can actually become a gift when it drives you to God. Elijah's in a moment of deep need. He's, I'm the only one left. The, the, the nation that's supposed to be your chosen people has rejected you. They've killed all the other ones that are standing up for you. I'm the only one left, and the queen's sending her forces after me. Elijah's got nothing. God comes to Elijah again and again and then reaches out to him in the middle of, need, of his need. Look at verse 11. Then God said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by, and a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. The ground shook, but God wasn't in the earthquake. The, the wind blew, but God wasn't in that wind. The fire burned, but God wasn't in the fire. One writer said, God was not in the remarkable, but God was in the ordinary whisper. He goes on to say, why is it that when life is so difficult, God's voice is so quiet? Why is he so gentle? Why is his voice so still and small? If God wants us to hear him, why does he whisper? Why doesn't he shout? Why doesn't he speak loud and, and powerfully and in spectacular ways? If he wants us to know him and to hear him, why does he whisper? Because I'll tell you why. Because God whispers because he's close. He whispers because he's right there with you. He whispers because he's near. He says, God... He says, the devil shouts his lies, but God whispers his truth. He doesn't shout to get your attention, but he whispers to draw you close. What are, what are some of the things that the scripture tells us about God, that God might be whispering to us today, now, in the wilderness? The scripture tells us that God says, I will never leave you, that I will never forsake you, that I'm, I'm with you, that, that, that I love you more than you can imagine, that, that when you hurt, I hurt too. Scripture says, I'm with you in the valley, and I'm with you in the wilderness. Psalm 34, 18, 
Uh, the psalmist writes, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Again, back to Psalm 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You can't get too far. If you're protecting someone, you can't get too far from them if your protection is a rod and a staff. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. I am your, your honored guest at this meal. My cup overflows with blessings. And surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. God whispers because he's close. He whispers because he knows you by name. In another psalm, in Psalm 139, David wrote, uh, where can I go from your spirit? How, how can I escape from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle at the far side of the sea, even if your hand guides me, your right hand will hold me fast. Your right hand will hold me. Back to 1 Kings, Elijah heard the whisper of God, wrapped his face in his cloak, and and stood at the entrance to the cave that he'd been hiding in. And God's voice asked him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah went through the same list. I, I wonder, I suspect, maybe his, his tone had changed a little bit after seeing the earth move and the wind blow and the fire come. God, all of these things, I'm the only one left. But look what God says. God says, no, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not done. This is, that's my addition. God says, head back the way you came, Elijah. Head back to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel as king over Aram, anoint Jehu as king over Israel, and anoint Elijah as the prophet who will follow up your ministry. You know what God was saying? He's like, I'm with you. Keep up with the ministry I've called you to. And then just to sort of comfort and encourage him, he says, oh, by the way, Elijah, you're not the only one. There's, there's 7,000 more who have not bowed to false gods, who are still serving me, who are still a part of my, my, my people in Israel. So here's what I'm hoping for me and for us this morning. First, as we talked about last week, that we might enjoy him on the mountaintops so we, we get to know him intimately in the valleys when the valleys come. And second, when we're wandering in the wilderness, when it seems like no one understands, that he understands, that he cares, that he's good, and that he's with us. See, God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. But he was in the whisper. And I pray, and I pray, and I pray that you and I will get to know the sound of that whisper so well that in the noise of the world, in the noise of even uh, Advent and Christmas, we'll know that whisper. 
that, that even like we talked about last week, when, when we feel like we're, we're going through the valley of tears, that we'll dig a well preparing for his presence. That even when we're going through hard times, we will continue to prepare for God's presence and, and recognize that he's with us. And that when it feels like we're in the wilderness, we will listen for the whisper. And that when it feels like we've been completely abandoned by God, that we remember that the virgin was with child and gave birth to a son. And he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel anxious, alone, depressed, hurting, in pain, all the things, when everything is piling up, turn to him because he knows. He knows it all. And this Christmas season, this Advent season, we remember that, that you and I, we do have problems. We do have a problem. We have a sin problem. It, it's what makes us put our hope in ourselves, in our own abilities. Or it makes us put our hope in, in, our, in our money, in our finances, in our, in our spouses, in our jobs. It makes us think that we know what's best for ourselves. It's, it's what makes us abandon the way of life that God lays out for us in Scripture. And that separates us from God, the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who is with us. And it leads us to death. But God loved us too much to leave us in our sins. And this is the good news. This is the gospel that we celebrate at Christmas, that God became one of us in the person of Jesus. And his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And that Jesus, who is perfect in every way, became the once-for-all sacrifice, paying the price for our sins, for all the ways we've gone astray. And Jesus, the one who would go and die on the cross in our place, also rose from the dead so that anyone, so that anyone who calls on his name, turns their life towards him, would be saved, forgiven, and transformed. You don't have to work for this gift you cannot work for this gift. There's no way that we can earn it, but it's God's free gift to all who call on his name and commit to following that whisper. And when you do call on his name, when you do offer up that prayer, he will hear it. He will forgive every sin. He will make you brand new because the old is gone and the new life has come. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for the reminder this morning of the story of Elijah. And oh, how many times have, have we or have I offered up the whiny prayer of, I don't like my circumstances, I can't see you, why have you let me down? God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your whisper. For some of us, it's so hard. Would you help us to maybe even get out of our own way and, 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 and set some, some time aside, maybe some things aside, and, and just be quiet in your presence? I pray that we wouldn't look for you necessarily in, in the grand things like the earthquake, like the windstorm, like the fire, but that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our ears to hear your whisper, to remind us that you are near, 
that you are close, that you are with us. Jesus, thank you that, that you came, that you took on flesh and you dwelt among us. Thank you that you lived a perfect life, showing us how to relate to God, to others, to creation. And thank you that you went to the cross to pay for my sins and our sins so that when we recognize that, that, that I, we don't have enough, that I don't have enough, that I'm done, I, I don't have the power, I don't have the energy, I don't have any of this, that we can't do life on our own, that when we turn to you, you forgive our sins and you draw us back into close enough proximity that when you whisper to us, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, we can hear it. Thank you, Jesus, for your work for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Team, would you come?